to use to build us up as a church and to equip us and to impact us uh, as, as a church, as, um, as a community, because our church really, uh, as part of the mission of the church, involves welcoming people in. And so there are people in our midst who are on a spiritual journey in different places. So, so for the whole group, I believe the Lord wants to do some specific things, and I will talk about that today. What I want to do today is give you an introduction to this book, the Gospel of Mark, so that you can uh, be helped as we go through this series, as we prepare to go through this series. Perhaps uh, you could even spend time on your own in private, uh, maybe in your Bible reading on your own. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we would be very honored to give you a free Bible, so you can just see one of our greeters. Uh, but to perhaps start reading the Gospel of Mark as we go through this series. I want you to know that up front, though, the, the main thing that I want more than anything from the Gospel of Mark, the main thing that I'm trusting God to do in us is to freshly amaze us with Jesus. And that's the title of this series, uh, Amazed. Uh, and that is really a, a main thrust of Mark. Mark so presents Christ to us that we would be amazed. And we'll see as we go through this Wonderful story. There are people amazed over and over again by Jesus. So I want us to be amazed, whether we've known about Christ or known him personally for years, or we don't yet know him. My desire in this, and I believe it's God's desire, is to so present Christ to you and to us that you would be amazed. Maybe for the first time. Maybe for the thousandth time. But nevertheless, amazed by Jesus. For he is truly amazing. And we are made, actually, for being amazed. We are made and created by God to be amazed and to find the answer to that hunger, uh, ultimately in Him. If you think about it, uh, people will spend their lives, they'll spend lots of money and lots of time and effort in this search for being something that's amazing, something that would capture their attention. Um, Think of it, uh, people go on vacation and, and oftentimes they'll go to somewhere where they can enjoy something that's amazing. Anyone here ever been to the Grand Canyon? Visit the Grand Canyon, a few of us. You went there not just because they had a good hotel deal nearby, right? You went there to see something amazing, the Grand Canyon. Uh, other things as well, people travel, they go to places to, to visit sites and cities uh, for vacation, uh, maybe a historical city, to, to really be amazed by what's there. So uh, if you've been to London or Paris or uh, any major city like that, um, you go there to, to be amazed. People engage in, in activities and hobbies to be amazed. Mountain climbing, surfing, skiing. Actually, I was uh, down in Florida recently, and there was one day where the wind was probably blown in about, uh, it was pr maybe 25, 30 miles per hour pretty swiftly. And, uh, and all these kite surfers came out. You guys ever, ever seen kite surfing? It is really cool. And if I were 20 years younger, I'd probably try it. Um, but it's, you have a kite that's tied to you, and, and you can control it. And you stand on a, a surfboard, wakeboard type thing. And, uh, and you get blown all around and ride waves. It's really cool. And, and it's really people looking to be amazed by something. It's, it's really, actually, it's really amazing just to watch the guys. They're crazy. Uh, but... That's, that's how we are. We're made by God to be amazed. Um, we're made to be captured, to have our affections, our attention captured by something. You know, I, I don't think the, the animals, uh, the, you know, the other living beings in creation are, are like us in this. We're made in the image of God. We're different. My dog, Daisy, my golden retriever, 
uh, is very content to eat and sleep and do tricks for treats, you know, and that's, that's her life. That's fine. She doesn't, you know, Daisy, I mean, she can't talk to me, so I guess I can't say for sure, but, but Daisy isn't there thinking, is there more to life than, than eating and sleeping and chasing squirrels? You know, I mean, she's not like that. She's not looking for something to be amazing. As long as she gets uh, what she wants, her sleep and food, and she gets lots of food, she's getting very round as she gets old. Um, but as long as she has that, she, she's happy. She's not like us. We, we're not content with just simply eating and sleeping and getting by. We're made in the image of God. We're made for God. We're made for something truly amazing. And certainly in creation, there are lots of things that are amazing, but, but that, those things are not the answer. They're actually meant to point to the one who made them, who is most amazing. And we can, we can look at the Gospel of Mark and find the one that God has sent, God in the flesh, his son, to us so that we would find everything in him. And so this gospel of Mark is given to us to amaze us and to draw us in to find in Christ the answer that we're looking for. So that is the, the, the biggest thing that I hope and pray for in this series in the gospel of Mark is that we might be amazed by Jesus, and that, that would change us. That would compel us and shape us and refresh us and lead us. So what I want to do this morning is, is first I want to give you a sample of what we're going to see in Mark, and I want to read a short passage. Then I want to kind of walk through some things that will kind of equip us for this journey, some essential understandings, in a, in a sense, something to put in your backpack on this journey to help you as you go through Mark together with us to be amazed, to get the most out of the book of Mark. But before we read and before we continue, let's pray and ask God to work. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel of Mark. And we thank you, Lord, that you have made us to be amazed. You've made us to worship. You've made us to, to search and seek and find something bigger and greater and more stable and meaningful than just ourselves. We thank you for that desire, and I pray, Lord, would you, in this series, and today even as we read your word, would you show us that Jesus Christ is that one who satisfies that yearning? Would you amaze us with him? And would you compel us to follow, to believe, and to follow, and to tell others about him? Would you come and do that? Would you bless the speaking and reading, preaching of your word, would you bless each one here this morning that we might be amazed by you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Look with me if you, can, if you have a Bible. You can watch up on the screen if you don't. Uh, in Mark chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 14 through 34. Just a little glimpse of what's in store for us. Let's learn about Jesus as it He's presented in the Gospel of Mark. It says in verse 14, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the Gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fish, fishermen. And Jesus said to them, to them Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them. 
And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. God's word from Mark chapter 1. That's just a little sampling of what's in store this Gospel of Mark is, is just jam-packed with scenes like this one, full of action, full of Jesus speaking and, and doing miracles and, and impacting the world and amazing people. It's like it, it reads better than a modern epic movie, really, and, and what's going on here. And it's no wonder, really, if you, if you know the history of Christianity, it's no wonder that really billions of people have been amazed by Jesus over thousands of years. It's no wonder that people have given up their homes and their livelihood, their comforts, their wealth, even their friends at times, and family, and even their lives to follow Jesus because he is amazing. Nothing short of amazement would motivate such abandon to a cause. And I pray that through this series, God would amaze us all to that degree, that we would find him so compelling that we would follow and believe, and be changed. So in preparation for a series that I trust he will use to amaze us and to change us, I want to do four things today. First, I want to give you a little background on this gospel so you can just kind of understand it and, and, and enjoy it, maximize your enjoyment and benefit from it. Second, I want to uh, look at some ways that this gospel will amaze us. Third, I want to look at how it calls us to follow as a result. I think there's notes you have that list these four points. And then fourthly, I just want to talk about some things that I'm expecting God to do, and I pray that you will be praying that way and expecting as well. So first, let's talk about background. Anyone here ever read through any of the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Anyone ever read through the entirety? It's some, not necessarily in one sitting. Good, a number of you. Um, do you notice that it's really different than a modern biography? Anyone here like biographies, you read biographies a lot. Do you notice how the Gospels are really different? We're used to modern biographies. Modern biographies typically uh, are arranged this way. They start with the person, their birth, the facts about them, maybe a little bit on their history, their legacy, their family heritage. 
their birth, and it kind of marches through their life chronologically, right? And it hits on all the key facts. It gets all the quotes uh, completely exact. It arranges the chronology, and it does analysis. That's basically what biographies do. And we're used to that. We're used to that when we read a biography. But the Gospels are not like that. They're really different. And sometimes when you read through the Gospels, it can be hard to, to know how to handle them and what to do because we can think, well, it's a biography. Why doesn't it tell me all that's going on? I know I read the Gospel, and a lot of times I'm thinking, like, when did this happen? What day of the week was this on? What happened right before this? What happened right after it? Who were the people around here? But that's not the interest of the Gospel. That's the interest of modern authors of biographies. That's not how the Gospels are written. They're more like an ancient hero story, uh, and you can find these sort of hero stories in other uh, literature. And, and th that mode of telling about someone's life was really different. It really uh, it was, it had this objective. It just basically wanted to present what the person did, their epic deeds, and their sayings or teachings, just to present a picture of the person. And so the, the Gospels themselves are, are created that way. They're really just pictures of Jesus. And you need to, if you're going to enjoy the Gospels, if you're going to enjoy this series, you need to get, just get used to that what the author is asking you to do is just to drop into a scene, a little vignette, a picture of something happening, to watch what goes on and watch what is said and just to benefit from that. He's not giving all the details so you can know exactly what went on. When. Now, you can do study. Nothing wrong with that. You can look at... Uh, that harmonies of the gospel, and there's tools out there to lay out like what happened when. But that's not the interest of Mark or really of any of the writers. They want to present Jesus to you. And so they, they will drop you into a scene. And it won't always be neatly arranged chronologically and so forth. They don't necessarily look to get their quotes to be exactly the same. Because that's not their objective. It's not their concern. That's our modern concern in biographies. What they want to do is they want to present Jesus to you. They want to present him truthfully, certainly. But they want to present who he is through his actions and his words. They want to drop you into a scene so you're there and you're drawn into what's happening and you see through that scene just how amazing Jesus is. So get used to that approach as we go through the book of Mark, uh, that this sort of story. Just get used to getting dropped into things. And enjoy the moment in a sense, just seeing and marveling at Jesus. This is called uh, the gospel according to Mark. It is a gospel. Uh, and that's a word uh, as well that I think needs clarification. We use the word gospel uh, perhaps a lot or not much, depending on your background. And I think we tend to not really know what it means. Gospel means good news, uh, literally. It means good news, but it's more than just good news. Certainly this story of Jesus is good news. The story about Jesus, whether it's in the Gospel of Mark or just in a, other places in Scripture or, or whatever, is good news, but it's more than that. The, this word good news was a special phrase that's used in the Bible and used in the history of the time that is really a declaration. It's a declaration of the victory of the king that has impact on everything. That's the idea. It's a declaration. This is good news for everybody. This is good news that has impact everywhere. This is good news about the king and his victory. That's what is meant by the gospel. That is what's meant by good news. So this is a story. This is a declaration 
This is a story certainly about the facts of who Jesus is and what he did, but there's, a, there's an intent here to declare the victory of the king and, to, and for you and all of us to feel the impact of that. So the gospel is always a declaration. That's why people say, um, share the gospel, use words if necessary. That's not a good saying because there's no way to share the gospel unless you share words because it's a declaration. Certainly our lives should point to the gospel. But our lives cannot articulate this declaration of the victory of the king and all of its impact on us. So as we go through, recognize that. Keep that in mind. Mark is a unique gospel. It's different. There are four gospel books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, it, it seems, it appears that Mark was written first before the others. Uh, it is... Uh, the reason that we believe people believe that is because a lot of the material that's in Mark is duplicated. It's used in Matthew and, and Luke. Uh, then they add extra material as well. Uh, there's other reasons why they think it was written first. So it was the first one. It's the shortest of all four. It's about half the length of Matthew and Luke and about two-thirds the length of John. And there's also a unique style in Mark. Mark Mark's gospel is kind of like a slideshow. Of, of events, one after the other, of these dramatic events. Boom, so this happens. Boom, this happens. Boom, this happens. It's, it's an action-packed gospel. It's, it's short, it's sweet, it's full of action. And, and Mark uses lots of words to point to this idea of action. You probably heard when I read the word immediately used, was it three times, I think, in that, in that little short section. Again and again, 35 times, Mark uses the word immediately. Immediately this happened. Immediately he went here. Immediately this person was healed. And immediately this person uh, stood up. Immediately they left their, their nets and they followed. There's this idea of action and lot happening. Jesus coming and doing these amazing deeds and people being impacted. Just listen to some other samples of immediately. Uh, Mark 1, uh, immediately you heard this. He called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. Uh, Mark 1.42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Mark 2.12, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Mark 5.40, and immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Twice in one sentence. Mark 14, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times, and he broke down and wept. Again and again in Mark, there's these vivid scenes with the word immediately, and then woven through this are words, uh, generous use of words like amazed and feared and afraid and astonished and, and overcome. Really to read Mark and how it's intended is really to... to to be found sitting on the edge of your seat, waiting for the next thing to happen. What's going to happen next? What, what marvelous event is he going to do? What's he going to say again? What's going to happen here? And that's intended by God. That's intended by Mark, that we would read it that way, that we would be on the edge of our seats, amazed, thinking, who is this man? And then with that, actually, a call to follow. And so there's, as, you, as we go through Mark, you'll see again and again people following him, with abandon, people confessing who he is and their lives being changed. The Gospel of Mark was written by a man named Mark. Um, his, his name actually was John Mark. Uh, he was uh, an early follower 
Uh, he was a close companion uh, of Peter later on. Early on, he was with Paul and Barnabas, if you know the story in Acts. Uh, he spent a lot of time with Peter. And so this gospel, in some ways, is the gospel of Peter because he took, apparently, uh, Peter's teaching and Peter's eyewitness accounts and put this together. And, and John Mark makes a cameo appearance in chapter 14. If you've read ahead, you know, this, you know the story. Uh, there's this young boy mentioned, just a little short paragraph, a young boy mentioned. He's out there in, in just his shorts, and they grab him when Jesus is arrested, and actually he loses his shorts and runs away in his birthday suit. And not a very flattering cameo appearance for, for John Mark, but uh, that's a consistent with how Peter is presented in the Gospel of Mark as well. And that's not without purpose. You see, John Mark and Peter don't want to make a big thing of themselves. Matter of fact, they want to show you what people are really like. Weak, foolish at times, silly at times. The portrayal of Peter in the Gospel of Mark is not very flattering because Peter doesn't want you to think much of him. Peter is aware of how foolish he can be and how foolish he was. But he's also aware of how amazing Jesus is. And so as we read through this, we're going to see all these characters. And the temptation will be to see them and think, what a bunch of dummies. Didn't they get who Jesus is? But we're not supposed to react that way. We're supposed to react this way. What a dummy I can be. I can miss Jesus too. I can go throughout my week forgetting who he is, even as amazing as he is. So that we would be humble in looking at our own lives and hopeful as we depend on the one who's most amazing. And that is the goal in this, this wonderful gospel, to be amazed. It's full of reasons to be amazed. Jesus comes on the scene early on and starts declaring the gospel of God, declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand. He's declaring this good news that the king has come and there's a victory with the king. The kingdom of God has come. This word's used about 14 times in Mark, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is really the reign of God. It's the place where he reigns, where he rules. It's his kingship. It's been promised in the Old Testament. It comes on the scene with Jesus' arrival and he declares the kingdom. Now the kingdom has come with Jesus and it will eventually be complete in its arrival when he returns again. But it's already come and Jesus demonstrates that. He comes on the scene and he exerts his kingship over everything. And he does all sorts of miracles to demonstrate that he is the king of all. And so all the things in life that get us down, that we can be defeated by, all the things, all the terrible things in life, Jesus comes in as king and brings, brings the kingdom. He brings redemption. He brings relief to these things. So there's all sorts of stories of Jesus coming on the scene as the king who's come to amaze us, to relieve us of these things so that we would put our hope in him. He's the king over sickness. We see throughout this gospel, Jesus healing people with diseases and handicaps and infirmities. He heals a leper, this awful skin condition uh, that, that can lead to death. He heals a leper. He heals a paralyzed man. He heals a man with a shriveled hand. He heals a woman who has uh, incessant internal bleeding. He heals a deaf person. He heals blind men, all just with a, a touch of the hand or a word. The section we read earlier, I love just a little section. Can you picture this? Chapter 1, verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. 
and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus healed people with all, who had all sorts of infirmities and, and sickness to show them that God is God and that he is the king and he comes to bring his kingdom to bring relief, to bring healing. And with his kingdom comes the answer to sickness and sin. He comes in here, he shows that he is king over spiritual darkness. He drives out demons from countless people. These evil spirits that afflict people. He delivers a man who's stark raving mad from demons, a, a young girl, a demonized boy. And he demonstrates that Satan and his minions are no match for Jesus. That is good news. Because if we are aware, we think about it, uh, there, we live in a spiritual world and there's spiritual evil out there. And we can be oppressed. And for some of you, you, you might even be at a place where you, where you know something's going on. There's some serious oppression going on. There's, there's, a, there's evil in the world. And yet Jesus comes to demonstrate that he is king over all the demons and over Satan himself. They're no match for him. He's the king. He comes to amaze us so we would trust him and follow and find relief and forgiveness. He shows that he has divine authority to forgive sins. That's really the greatest affliction that we, we experience. Not sickness, even not demonic activity, as terrible as that might be. Our greatest affliction is our sin. This insane condition, this insane disposition that we have to rebel against God. To say, God, I want to do it on my own. I don't want you. It, it just does not make sense if you think about it, does it? I mean, he, God is good in all that he does. He's flawless. He's loving. He's gracious. Every good gift we have comes from him. He takes care of us in countless ways. He holds the universe together. He holds our lives together. He's ever diligent to do this, and yet we ignore him. And worse than that, we rebel and seek to make ourselves our own God. It's insanity. It is insanity. It goes counter to everything. It goes counter to the evidence of creation that shows God and, and his power and goodness around us. It goes counter to the testimony of Scripture, this awful affliction called sin. And yet Jesus comes in and demonstrates through his life, through his death and resurrection, through his actions, that he has divine authority to bring relief to this problem of sin for us to forgive sins and to free us to new life. He shows that he's Lord over nature. He calms a storm. He walks on water. He's Lord over hunger. He feeds thousands two different times with just a few fish and loaves. He's Lord over death. He raises a dead girl just by simply speaking, little girl, get up. This gospel is chock full of scene after scene of Jesus demonstrating that he is the king and the kingdom has come. Jesus giving us reasons to be amazed. And interspersed in the gospel of Mark is teaching and commentary and even Mark's arrangement of things to bring home key points about Jesus. It's not just action. It's not just action not interpreted. It's not just action presented but it's action arranged and interspersed with teaching in a way where we would get some key main points. And Mark uses a strategy that people call the Markin sandwich. There are nine, at least nine, if not more, Markin sandwiches in this gospel. And 
And what basically a Markan sandwich is, is Mark arranges events in the, in, as he recounts the events in such a way that there's three layers. There's, there's a middle layer, it's, it's often a miracle or some event, and then there are two layers, one before and one after, that help us understand what's going on. They might be teaching, or they might be a, another event that goes on. And this, there are nine times in the Gospel of Mark, and this is done on purpose by Mark so that we would, through that Markan sandwich, get the main point. Let me, let me take you to one so you can see. Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. You can turn there. It will be projected as well. This is near the end of Jesus' ministry, uh, the week of his suffering. And in this story, I'll read it in a minute, uh, we have the arrangement to betray him, and then we have the woman who anoints him with, with very expensive uh, oil and, and so forth, anointing oil, and then we have Judas betraying him. All right, so there's three things. The arrangement by the leaders to betray him, this woman's worship, and then Judas's betrayal. So keep that in mind. I'm going to read through it and then think about what Mark's getting at. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I think he is getting at. So uh, verse 1, it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, that's a, a year's wages, more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you'll not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Mark 14, 1 to 11. This is a Mark and Sandwich. We have the leaders plotting to betray him, plotting to, to kill him, capture him and kill him. Then we have this woman who comes. Uh, we know from elsewhere she's Mary. Uh, she's from that household. Um, and she comes and she takes basically her life savings probably. In, in that nard, in that ointment. And she has been so amazed by Jesus that she doesn't think twice about breaking that jar over him and, and, and anointing him with that oil a year's wages. I mean, what, $40,000 or more? She doesn't think twice about it because she knows who he is and her life has been changed. Money is not an issue for her. She... She knows that he is the king of kings who's come, that he's the Messiah, her Lord, and she just doesn't care about money. She wants to give herself to him and worship him. And she probably doesn't know, maybe she does, that she's anointing him for his burial. A, 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 a act of worship that's supreme, and yet it's sandwiched between two acts that are just the opposite. Leaders who say, I don't like this Jesus. Give me enough money and I'll betray him. It's a contrast. And it's meant to, to speak to us and say, 
What do you think about Jesus? Where do you fall? Is he so amazing to you that you would gladly, quickly, joyfully even, give your life savings for him? Or, or not? That's a Markin sandwich, and he does that throughout Scripture. Um, and we will preach those sandwiches, we will present those sandwiches together uh, as we go through this series so that we can learn from this wonderful gospel. The whole point in all this, again, is that we might be amazed by Jesus and call, called to follow him. And, it, and that the call to follow is woven throughout the scriptures, and you'll see that people come and they follow, but also they, they, they don't get it. It takes them a while to really get and understand who Jesus is, and they make all sorts of mistakes. And right about in the middle of the whole gospel, Peter finally gets it. After he's seen all these miracles and heard all these things, he finally gets it, and he confesses in Mark chapter 8, uh, when Jesus says, who do, who do you say I am? He says, you are the Christ. He confesses him. And, and that's meant to, uh, to speak to us and to recognize that we, you know, we don't get it. We miss, but Peter finally does get it. And then there's not another confession of who he is until near the end of the story. And actually, uh, the story starts to turn shortly after that confession. It's jam-packed with miracles up to that point. And then it transitions, and, and almost half of the Gospel of Mark is about one week of Jesus' life. Almost half. And the point behind that is that we would understand that we're called to be amazed not just by Jesus' miracles, not just by how he exerts his kingship, how he shows that the kingdom has come over all these things, but by his suffering and his death and his resurrection. Really, we are ultimately to be more amazed that this one who is the king of kings, who is God, infinite God, glorious God, holy God, would come and become a man and would give himself to ill treatment, to suffer and to die. To be amazed that God would die on the cross, even more so than all the other miracles. And at the end of that whole series of, of things that Jesus does on the cross as he suffers, there's another confession. This time it's not by one of his followers. It's by a Roman centurion, a very unlikely person. He watches his sufferings. He watches what goes on. And he says, truly, this man was the Son of God. He gets it. We're to get it. That's the point. We're to get that this, this is the Son of God. This is an amazing person. Through his life, through his miracles, through his death. To be amazed. To understand ultimately, and be more amazed that he would die. Why did he die? What was the purpose? Why, why would that amaze us? Well, he gives us important clues throughout this gospel. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, gives us the reason that he died, the reason that we're be, to be amazed by his suffering and death. He says this in Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's amazing. That God would come to give His life. God would come as a man to give His life as a ransom for many. He would give up His life for you, for any and all who believe. He's given His life as a ransom, a payment. The problem is that, that in our sin, we are imprisoned by our sins. We are captive to our sins. 
and, and we owe a debt to God in our sin. God is a holy God. He's a just God. He's, he's no absent-minded grandfather. He's incredibly loving and faithful. But He's holy. And He sees all. And He has to respond in justice. Everything He does is always just and right. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That the, the consequences of our choices of rebellion against God is to say, here it is. Here, here's your choice. You want a life without me? Here's life without me. And that's a terrible, terrible alternative. In His holiness, He must punish sin. He must, the debt must be paid. But the amazing thing is that He loves us so much that He doesn't want you to have to pay that debt. He doesn't want you to be imprisoned. He comes, He sends His Son, and His Son, actually the, the Trinity together, plan that the Son would come and to live this life of wonderful miracles and teaching, but then suffer and die on that cross to, to pay that ransom price for your sin. That's most amazing about Jesus. He paid for you individually. He paid for His people. If you would trust in Him, that payment is fully yours. That's amazing. That's what changes our lives. More than watching all the miracles, as great and as important it is to, to see His whole life, the fact that He would come and, and as this glorious Holy One, offer Himself as a ransom for us so that we could be forgiven. We're like John Mark. and We're like Peter. We're, we're, we're well, I'll speak for myself. I'm a dope, and I can do foolish things, and I fail, and I'm weak. I think we're all in that boat when we compare ourselves to God and His goodness. Yet Jesus comes, even in, in our weakness, despite our weakness and our failures, to offer Himself for us. This amazing One offers Himself for you. That's amazing. He gives Himself for you. And He says, follow me. Follow me. Follow me as King. Find me amazing. And that's my prayer in this study. If the band could come up uh, as we conclude, that's my prayer. That's what I'm asking for, that we would be amazed by Jesus freshly as we go through this gospel. That we would be changed. We would follow afresh. We would follow him afresh. There's, there's many other objectives that I'm hoping in this gospel. Um, and, and time doesn't permit me to go through all of them, but, uh, but just a one or two that I want to touch on, and I want to just ask you guys to pray. I, I ask you to pray for the series. Let's ask God to work. Let's ask Him to move. Let, let's ask Him to amaze us again and again. I also think God wants to teach us something. He wants to teach us how to better, how to better live as His people and relate to our community in such a way that they would come and find Him amazing too. I think we do this pretty well, but I think God wants to show us how to do it even better. There are two errors, I think, that, that churches and Christians can make as they relate to the rest of the world, those that may not yet believe Christ. There's two errors that go on. One is to say, you know, well, the church is for God's people. And so we, we come together, and Sunday is all about us being built up together. And, 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 um, and what can happen often when people do that is they create a bubble, a Christian bubble, a, this little subculture. That's not just a matter of that they're, they're, that be, they're believers, but other things start to happen. They start using the same language and acting the same and they start having the same circle of friends and there's no other, there's no touch, no relationship with the world. 
They make that mistake. And then so what they say is, well, we, we, they do. I mean, all Christians love people and want people to know about Jesus. So they create events to kind of go out and kind of do something and hope some people come to that event and then bring them back in the bubble. That's one thing that's done historically. The other side of it is like they say, well, that just doesn't work because you're so insulated. The other side of it says, well, so let's, let's just kind of open up everything. Let's just kind of make it so that our Sunday worship and who we are is really very similar to maybe other social clubs out there. And, and what can happen is they, in that effort, they want people to know Jesus, but they end up watering down the distinctives of following Jesus. They're not as holy or not as different. And that doesn't work in the long run. I don't think either is fully biblical, but this is what I do think is fully biblical. When we understand that we are not all that different than the world, yes, we're called by Jesus to follow, and yes, that changes our lives and our ethics and how we live, but we need the gospel every day just as much as the world needs the gospel every day. It's the same gospel. And so as we learn to find Jesus amazing and come together openly and honestly and humbly and to center on this wonderful truth, it's very easy to invite others in and say, hey, I'm someone who needs Jesus just like everybody else. Come on in and learn with me what it is to follow Jesus. Come on in and look what Jesus looks like as he works in his people. We become a community that welcomes people in. And that's one thing I'm praying as we go through this series, we'll learn how to do that. We are that already to a degree, but even greater degree. We would be a community centered on Christ, distinct and holy indeed, but open and, and loving and inviting our, our friends, our neighbors, those around us to come and see Jesus. I'm asking through this series that God would, would so touch people's lives that we would have 50 people, that's what I'm asking, 50 people would come to trust Christ and be baptized through this series. You may think, well, wow, that's bold. Yeah, it is, but Jesus is amazing. And as he works, as we present his word, he can do that. Will you pray with me for 50 people to come to Christ and be baptized? And the other thing I'm praying is that each and every member and regular attendee here would be revived in their love for Jesus, would find their life different as a result of encountering Jesus. Are you ready to be amazed by Jesus? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are, and we ask you to amaze us. Come, Holy Spirit, bless this series. Bless each one that teaches in this series. Bless your people. Bless the visitors who come in, who, who will come in to observe, that they would be amazed by you, Jesus. They would see we're nothing special. We're like Peter, failing, but you are. You're amazing. Lift your name up, we pray. Do great things above and beyond all we would ask or imagine, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship God.